0: You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. How's everyone doing this morning? For those of you who decided even though it was a nice day you would come to church, you get extra heaven points. Um, That's something I just made up, actually it's something Josh made up and tries to convince our our youth, that they can get heaven points by doing the right thing. I'm not sure that's how it works, but uh, but uh, thanks for coming today. We're glad you're here. If you're online, we're glad you're there. We'd love for you to be in the room more than online, though, just being honest. Um, you, we need connection. We need people. And uh, I would just admonish you, don't let life deter you from that, if at all possible. So uh, we're picking up in our series uh, garden to City. We started this a few weeks ago. Justin did kind of a week two, hit some more themes out of chapters one and two. And so today, we're going to pick up in chapters three and four, hit a few thoughts, a, a few big themes in there. And so um, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to follow along with us. I was just told that Pro Presenter, which is the thing that projects on our screen, um, well, there is something there now, but that's it. That's all you get. Uh, so if you rely on us to read your Bible because you don't you like to look at the screen, you're not going to get it today. So actually, in the back, as always, I try to mention this. There are two carts, one on each side, that have free Bibles. You can grab a Bible and borrow it. You can grab a Bible and keep it. Uh, we would love for you to follow along, or you can follow along on your phone. Uh, in that way, if you use the U or the U Version app. All right, cool. So Genesis three. Uh, We're going to pick up there. Actually, you know what, i got to mention a couple of things. One, I just was told something. What was it? Oh, my gosh. 6 o'clock is the prophetic uh, group that meets tomorrow night. So don't come at 6.30. You'll miss a half hour. So 6 o'clock. Also, the women's conference. I'm sure someone mentioned it last week. How awesome was that for the women here? Come on. I, I just saw pictures and I've heard. I mean, this is like, this is what happens. People Come to me and they're like, Thank you so much for the women's conference. I'm like, I did nothing. Absolutely. You know what I did? Like, probably four months ago, Julie's like, Hey, I'm thinking about having a women's conference. I'm like, Oh, that's a cool idea. That's it. That's all the participation that I had in it. So I just want to again say a huge admonishing to Julie and the team she put together. Uh, We had over 200 women here. I think we've counted uh, over 15 churches that participated. Uh, which is just super incredible and super encouraging. So what an awesome time. Also, uh, this coming week, hopefully starting tomorrow or Tuesday, we are getting a new parking lot. Yay! I say yay like that because it cost a lot of money. It's expensive, and thanks to the cost of oil, it's even more expensive than we anticipated. But we decided to pull the trigger no matter what because we heard that basically after June 1st, it's going to be 35% more expensive. Um, asphalt was is going up hugely, so we are getting it done in May. Uh, they're starting this week. So if you come here for your regular meetings, they are all happening, but just be aware that it's probably going to look torn up i don't even know what that really means but just be uh expecting to maybe have to park in certain spots be aware of what's going on we're going to be parking some of our vehicles during the week just the staff over on the grass hopefully it is going to rain all this week unfortunately Um, but we'll be parking around so just be aware the parking lot is going to get torn up a whole bunch of it and uh, the whole thing is getting repaved and we will actually have Uh, striping on it as well we have not striped our parking spaces for years because about five years ago I just decided I'm not spending another penny on this thing until we do it all the way Um, and so we're gonna have actual spaces that you can see I don't know about you but when I pull in I'm always like where's that line where's that line Um, so all right parking lots happening good news we're gonna move on now Genesis 3 all right so we picked up Genesis one and two. I know that Justin kind of elaborated last week on a couple of themes. He talked about the Trinity more, and and uh, even this idea of freedom being in um, the you know our our creation and the whole idea of letting their, these things happen. So God creates things, but He then lets them have this free will aspect, and so we see that take place in the garden. We see that. With what we're about to read in chapters three and four. We see this moment where God puts that, we, we see where He puts this tree and says, Don't eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we see what happens in chapter three where they decide to do that. And so that's where we're picking up today. This is the free will of a humanity in our world to actually choose whether we're going to go God's way or not go God's way. And we're going to see the effects of that. So let's just pick up verse one of chapter three. So it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So I want to stop there for a second, because right off, this is really weird. Um, I don't know about you, have any of you had snakes talk to you before? That's a good thing. If any of you were hesitant... Uh, I might need to send you to see someone. So we've got this story that if you're in Christianity, you've kind of just let it settle as like, oh yeah, this is what happens. But if this is a really weird scenario. And there's so much here to possibly surmise. The truth is, it's just mysterious. We don't see a full picture of what really happens at the beginning of time in the be- in this moment, okay. But we see this place where there's this snake. And of course... Most people believe and most theologians believe this is Satan. This is the devil. Somehow he's speaking through this snake or he is a snake. What does it matter? What we see in this moment is a deceiver. And that's what matters most. That's really what this picture is supposed to describe to us. Whether this is how it literally took place, a a talking snake or not a talking snake, I really don't care. But we see a deceiver that comes into creation to literally deceive the, hum- the humans that are there. And we can see it immediately through the very first words that this deceiver speaks. And this is what it says. Did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? The whole thing is deception. So first, this deceiver kind of putting doubt into the mind of this woman in this moment, but he's not even speaking the truth of what he knows God said. God didn't say don't eat of the tree of, or don't eat of the fruit of any of the trees. What did he say? Don't eat this one tree. Just one. Now, there's all of these other trees, and he says don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and they've got that there. But they have access to all the others. And so here he is alluding to this idea. And this is one of the first lies that I think the deceiver presents to us as people in the world when we start to think about God. He tries to present God as a restrictive God. Did he really say don't eat any of the trees? And so we have this perspective right from this first deception that God wants to constrict our lives. He wants to restrict us. He wants us to just kind of fit into this narrow box and not have any freedoms. And and this is the God that you want to serve. and, And you hear these lies and they're presented right here in the very first one. Did God really say? Did he actually want you to do that? And this deception comes. So we see this deceiver speak. So verse 2, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. So the woman replies, well, what are you talking about? Of course we may eat from those trees. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. So he goes on deceiving, he goes on lying. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. I want to stop you for a second. What do you guys see in these scriptures? I, I, want, I want you to shout out. What do you see as a lie that's taking place here? Obviously, the whole you won't die part. But what else do you see in those few scriptures? What is the, what is the deceiver trying to get them to believe? That would make them like God. Them like God. Why is that deception? They already were. Do you see this? He immediately tries to steal their identity by proposing a question as if they weren't already like God. You see, they were. God literally said it. I'm going to make these human beings like me. To bear my image in the world. It's why we spent that huge theme on chapters 1 and 2. Because God created us to look like him already. But this liar comes into the the world in this scene and tries to convince them right from the get-go, oh, he doesn't want you to look like him. And so then he starts to tease them with this very lie that if you eat this fruit, then you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to really be like him. But the lie is, we already are. We already look like the image of God. And what this lie is actually going to happen is we're going to get distant from the image of God. Because you see, the image of God understands knowledge of good and evil, but he doesn't participate in it. And there's this lie that the enemy begins to, to speak into. There's Obviously, there's three, four, five deceptions happening all in just these first couple of lines. First, you know, did God really say... And he twists the truth. Oh, he's afraid you're going to be like him. Well, we already are like him. And that's right there, a huge point that I want to make today. The identity of who you are in God is the thing that will keep you the most stable in your life. You see, if she she had already spoken the truth after the first lie, She said, oh no, oh no, we're allowed to eat of the trees in the garden. It's just the one tree. So she knew the truth there. But then when he he proposed this idea that she didn't look like God, she grabbed onto that. Now if she would have been able to speak and just say, oh wait, I already look like him. What are you talking about? I'm already like him. It would have ended there. And I think this is where the enemy comes to attack all of us in our lives. You see, sometimes he just tries to get us to do something bad we know we're not supposed to do. It's like, oh no, I know I'm not supposed to do that thing. So instead of of kind of attacking us in the way of just trying to commit some bad act, he then goes for who we are. And he attacks our identity. And he tries to lie to us. In fact, I think he's been accomplishing this very well in the world. Because we look at our we look at ourselves in the mirror and most of the time we aren't going, "Wow, I look really good." Most of the time we're We're degrading ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves look better. We're trying to make ourselves seem better than even we think we are. Or even to the worst of it, we get into trying to capture our identity through sexuality. You see, I think the whole thing about transgenderism and even homosexuality and all that stuff is a lie of identity. Because the reality is people are searching for fulfillment through something that will never fulfill you your sexuality will never fulfill you. Whatever you choose on that thing, it will never fulfill you because that's not the identity of who God created us to be. God created us to look like him. So until we look like him, our identity will always be lacking. I didn't really plan on talking about this, but since you're so silent and want to hear it. You know, I have a, I have a, a friend, and of course I, I won't say names here, but it's from a long time ago. This particular person, I'm just going to tell you their story a little bit. This particular person began to struggle with their sexuality and eventually felt that they were homosexual. And I I walked through this person's life with them and, and just loving on them and caring for them. Eventually they left the area. They went to another place in the country. And then that person decided that that wasn't enough. They were always looking for this fulfillment. So they, they decided to go through hormone therapy to change their sex. And I saw this person after they had gone through this, because I try to follow up every once in a while. I, I saw this person long after that was over. And, and I mean, I can only say they, because that's what they want to be called. And it's this strange situation. Here I am. I know the identity of this person because I, I've known them for so long. But now they've been desperately trying to become something else. And you know what this person is? We sat in a, a restaurant just talking. I was just trying to catch up on their life and understand where they're at and just show some love to them. And this is what they said. It didn't work. I, I'm going to cry now. I just about melted in that seat because I was desperate saying, you're looking in all the wrong places. See, this is the heart we should have towards these subjects. Standing on a road with a sign talking about how you're against transgenderism isn't going to help the transgender person. But showing them love, and I'm telling you somehow, and I just wish I had a better end to the story. Because even though they realized that this moment, they they had gone to a place where they were like, well, it didn't actually work. They were just going deeper and deeper. And I was like, but Jesus. But Jesus. What about Jesus? What about what you once knew? And not everybody always sees it. I'm still believing for a miracle there. But you see, the enemy wants to come in and attack our identity. And if we don't grab a hold of the identity we were always created to have, which is the image of God in this world, it will always spiral deeper into that search. To me, the way the world is acting is not a surprise at all. In fact, it's just a symptom of the reality of people who are distant from the identity of God. From this identity of bearing his image in this world. Of looking like him and being like him. And so we just get more and more spiraled into something else. And we're trying everything in the world to feel fulfilled and purposeful. But really we've just lost our identities. This is what Satan has done from the beginning of time. He's just afraid you're going to look like him. It says the woman grabs hold of this. It says the woman was convinced you see, something, something touched a button in her life, and I, I don't really know how to understand it, because here we are in the garden, things ought to be pretty perfect, but somehow there was already something within her that made her convinced that maybe she didn't look like God. Maybe she wasn't really bearing his image. Maybe he was really restricting them as humans, says the woman was convinced in verse 6, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Now, just let's stop here for a second. I want to make a caveat because the next sentence is extremely important. A lot of Christianity has blamed so much on Eve. And so much on, on even women. As an issue. I mean there's whole sections of Christianity that would say literally it's the woman's fault for all of this. But let's just read the next sentence, men. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Now we don't see when he started to be with her. But it kind of sounds like he was there the whole time. And like most men a few words, I'm thinking, why didn't you speak up? You know, it doesn't say actually that he was deceived, but he was just going along. You know, anybody that tries to blame one of the parties here, it's just wrong. We're both in error. We both were deceived. We both had walked away from our identity in that moment and chose to be something else. It says, then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I always say the, the first curse is right here. You know, we, we think that the curse picks up in, in verse 14, but really the curse starts immediately because they felt shame. I think that every time we walk away from the identity of God... We're receiving shame. We're literally picking shame over what God has for us. Every time that we sin or miss the mark in our lives and do something that's outside of how God calls us to act as humans and as Christians and as people, we feel shame. Why? Because it is literally the automatic production of something outside of our design. Shame. So it says their eyes were open and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves can't imagine that was great first clothing. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I assume that was rhetorical because he was God. I, I, I love this picture though because this is just a picture of all of us. We do something outside of our design in our life and we end up in this place that we're ashamed of. And even when someone comes and tries to show us the love of God, our general action is to run away. (laughs) Because as much as we know we need God's love at times, it seems like the closer we get to him, the more blaring our mistakes and problems are, isn't it? I mean, we see it in the New Testament. We see Paul, even as he begins his letters right he starts with some of his letters and he says hi i'm paul an apostle sent by jesus and and then he says you know i'm i'm paul a bond servant of christ and then by the end he says hi i'm paul i'm the chiefest of sinners and it's like the closer he got to understanding jesus the more he realized his own brokenness and his own distance from the identity god created for him and so there's this kind of tension, I think, as Christians today or as people today, we have these things in our life, these mistakes we've made, this sin that we've committed, and and we we want to be free of it, but we also are afraid to get close to God because it feels like exposure. There's this tension in it. But yet that's the opposite of what we should do. You see what? The best notion here, and I don't know if the scenario would be any different, is instead of hiding from God, they should have ran to him and said, we made a mistake. We listened to this stupid snake over here and we ate that fruit and now we've got really crappy clothes on, we don't know what to do. But instead they hide. I mean, if this isn't a lesson in futility, hiding from God, But yet somehow in our minds we think we can do it. When I think about this story, I think about my own life. And I've, I've, I've told my my uh, testimony of, of really when Jesus kind of saved me a number of times. I don't want to get into the whole thing today. But I had come to a place in my life where I thought that the best action plan forward would be to die. I struggled with suicide and I had made a plan to commit it. And I went to look for some weird reason on my away messages. This is 2002 of all you 90s kids. And I read this away message and this is what it said to me. And it was sent by Jessica, if you know the whole story. It says, run, run, run away from me and you'll end up running right into me. This is the reality of God. You can't get away from him. You can run and you can hide, but you will not escape who God really is. And And as much as that's almost this frustrating experience when you don't want anything to do with God, it's the best thing in the world because he's never away from you. Now, do I believe we can remove ourselves from him and remove ourselves from his grace and his blessing and his protection? Absolutely. But it's like he's just there, just an arm's length away waiting for us to reach out. There's no place that you can hide from him. So I love that song we sing about God's love chasing us down, leaving the, one, the 99 for the one. because there's something within God who pursues us, even when we're very likely to reject Him. And here they are, and the, immediately the first thing, first sin committed in the world, and they're hiding from God says, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. God says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. <laughs> I love this. And then, the man, or, and then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And then the serpent deceived me. Do you see what's happening? Same thing we all do. Oh, no, it was their fault. It wasn't mine. No, it was his fault. It was her fault. I mean, we just keep going wronger in this scenario. We hide from God. Then we play the blame game. We constantly are avoiding the very thing we did wrong and we just want to forget it ever happened and we want to blame someone else. for I mean, I mean, come on. Humanity hasn't changed one bit. We are the same people we were then. Committing the same issues. Acting the same way in response. And here's God. But I want to go back to this question. He says, who told you? That you were naked. I think this is one of the big points I want you to take home today. Who are we listening to in this world? You see, he's in this moment. He's saying, "Wait a second! I didn't tell you you were naked." I didn't, I didn't reveal that to you, so who are you talking to? Because I'm the voice you should be listening to. You see, I told you how to live. I told you what not to do and what to do. I, I gave you your identity. I gave you your purpose. But somewhere along the line, God's saying, who did you start listening to? I think this is the same for our lives. even sometimes we have an experience with Jesus and we, we come to him and we get saved and we, we start this reconciling life where we're following after Jesus and we're coming along, but then this voice starts to come in and we start listening to the wrong one. And I think Jesus would ask, or God would ask us this same question right now. Who are you listening to? Who told you that? Who are you giving your ear to? Because what you're talking about right now, it certainly didn't come from me. This is the case for most of us. The lies that roll around in our mind. The lies that roll around in our brain. The things that we end up following because we're listening to the wrong voice in our life. If we can take a lesson from Adam and Eve right now, this would be one of them. Listen to the right voice in your life. I'm telling you, if this voice in your life is not life-giving, if it's not uplifting and encouraging, if it's not something that's pulling you higher, then it's not from him. Now, does Jesus, does God bring correction? Sure. But as all of us know, that right correction is done with love, and it pulls us higher to who we're called to be. God isn't coming and condemning you. He's not calling you stupid or ugly or dumb. He's not calling you a waste of time. Any of those kinds of things that roll around in our minds, these are the lies that the enemy has presented. And I think God wants to ask you today, who are you listening to? And they realize we've listened to the wrong person. So she goes on and she blames. She says, the serpent, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals. Domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And we start to see the curse of these decisions laid out here. So we're going to roll through them. It says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. We even know that this is a forward thinking to what Jesus is going to do. It says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. We see this idea of hostility come not just between the snake and the woman or the deceiver and humanity, but we now see hostility come between us. in relationship. We see control and, and ruling over as this thing that comes not as a result of God's design but because of the curse. Verse 17, he says, and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. Think about this. This one decision breaks down all the most important things. You see, in the garden, we saw this picture of right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, and right relationship with the earth. The world in which he created for us. And we immediately see those things begin to break down. He says there's going to be hostility between both men and women. There's going to be hostility now with you and the ground. The ground will be cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. This is why you have to weed your garden so much. You can blame them. Though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow, until you have food to eat, until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. We see these these things come. We see shame come, hostility, pain, control. This idea of ruling over a cursed ground. Sweat, I think, is a part of the curse. And then death. Now you see, I think, they, they thought God was, when he said you will surely die, they thought it would probably be this instant death, like, oh, this thing's going to poison us. But it's more a slow poisoning. And he says, to the dust you will return from which you came. And death is introduced into the world. Now here's a really interesting point that we're going to pick up in chapter 4. God doesn't cause the first death. We do. We get to the story of Cain and Abel and even though God releases this curse because of the choices they made the first death doesn't even get caused by natural happenings we kill one another and it says to dust we will return So let's move on it says then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. There's a lot here. We see this moment where humanity tries to cover themselves, right? And it just doesn't work well. Fig leaves, I'm not sure how often you have to replace that clothing, but I would think it would be pretty often. And so then we see this temporary covering that happens at the end of Genesis 3 where it says God gives them Clothes made from animal skins, it means he has to kill some animals and and create these clothes. And those clothes are now going to last longer, but they're still temporary. All of this is is an understanding of God covering us until we see what God really did on the cross that covers us for all time. A permanent grace. A permanent covering of who we are. It says, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he has been made. And this is the beginning of that separation between humanity and God, we see this separation between men and women and relationship with each other How we see this separation of hostility between us and the earth, and now we see a separation between us and God, he kicks them out of the garden, he says, okay, now you're going to have to go out there into the, this untamed world, and you're going to have to cultivate it, and after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So here we are, we see the curse, we see the mistakes that are made, we see what humanity introduces into the world, the things that we're still dealing with today, and we get to chapter 4, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on chapter 4, but I want to highlight this first story that happens. We can possibly skip that first verse, we know how babies are made. It says, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. I want to stop you for a second. This is a big point. We see this story play out between Cain and Abel. And we see that God rejects Cain's gift. But he accepts Abel and his. And there's really a reason for it. Because at the end of the day, you want to know what God doesn't need? Gifts. You know, we talked about giving here. and We talked about tithing this morning. You want to know what God doesn't really need? Our money. But he absolutely cares about what it symbolizes to us. And the same is true in this story with Cain and Abel. You know, there's this question, why would God reject it? I mean, he brought him some of his, it's what it says, right? It says, uh, it says, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift. Well, he brought him something. I'll tell you what, God's not looking for something. He's looking for something very specific. And we see it described in this way with Abel. It says, his first and his best. You see, God's not just interested in some of our life. He's interested in our first and best. He's he's interested in the motivation of our heart to say, God, everything that I have is yours. And I want to show you that by giving you my best. And, and when we give on Sunday, that's literally just a symbol of that idea for us to practice. God, this is, this is some of our best that we make. And money is just a symbol of that. But the truth is he wants it from every area of our life. He wants it in our time. He wants it in our emotions. He wants it in the choices and the decisions that we make. He wants it in our relationships. He wants us to present to him our first and best. Not because he needs that thing, but because it symbolizes to him that we're actually in right relationship. And I think sometimes we're like, oh gosh, man, God's picky. Well, let's just, let's just, for those of us who are married, who have been in any kind of significant other relationship, let's just imagine this scenario in that one. All you husbands who just nonchalantly bring your wife something. How does she feel about it? Oh, thanks. You put so much thought into this thing. But imagine when we actually give our first and best, the reactions that we see. It's the same idea. Because when we present our first and best, it's actually a sign of our love. It's a sign of of what's deep inside us that we want to present to the other person, not of the thing that we give, but what it represents. It's the same for God. He wants our first and our best. So let's go on here. We're going to end with just this thought of what takes place. This is an interesting thing. It says, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. I just want to point out this thought. That even though they're kicked out of the garden, they're still hanging out with God. Like this, this presents itself as a face-to-face experience with God. That God's close enough to literally look at Cain and be like, what's wrong with you? Why do you look that way? You look so dejected. says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. could preach a whole message on that we see this moment where Cain kind of takes this turn and God kind of calls him out and even gives him this warning like you better be careful with what's happening on the inside of you right now. And we see it take place in just the next couple scriptures. It says one day Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him afterward the lord asked cain where is your brother where is abel so here we have this face to face encounter again with god it says i don't know cain responded am i my brother's keeper but the lord said what have you done listen your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground now you are cursed and banished From the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. No matter how hard you work, from now on you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. I want to stop here today. Do you see the escalation of what it looks like when we constantly remove ourselves from following God? It starts with the eating of this fruit and this declaration that even though God said one thing, we were going to believe another thing and we were going to do it our own way. And before you know it, just one generation down from Adam and Eve, a brother is killing his brother. And God presents this question, and I, I, I know it's a question to Cain, but it's really the first question that God asks humanity He said, and actually I'm sorry, God presents this to, to him, but it's actually the first question that man asks God. And it's rhetorical because Cain is trying to get out of something. But Cain says this, am I my brother's keeper? You see, what had happened is a lie had come into Cain's life and he already knew the answer to his question. At least he thought he did. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, in Cain's mind, he thought, I'm not my brother's keeper. He's not my problem. Don't we feel that way today? But what I would say to you is this is a picture of what's happened with humanity. You see, the truth is we are our brother's keeper. We were called to care for one another. It's why we have those words on a sign and on the wall when you walk in. It's why that's what Jesus boils down the great commandments to. He says, love each other as I have loved you. You see, Jesus, thousands of years later, is answering the very question that Cain presents to God in that moment. Am I my brother's keeper? And Jesus says, yes, you are. Now that puts a lot of us on the spot, doesn't it? Puts me on the spot. Because I'll tell you, there are lots of times where I'm just done with somebody. I am just over it. I don't want to go down that road again. I don't want to spin that say merry-go-round. I don't want to stay on this ride with you. All the things that I've said to, to situations that I've dealt with people. But at the end of the day, there's something that God has put in us that bears his image well. And it's when we realize that we are our brother's keeper. When we are, cared, we are called to care for one another. And the story of Cain and Abel is just a representation of how far and how quickly we drift from that. Cain kills his brother over an offering. And Cain thinks he's not his brother's keeper. But yet God's saying, you've missed it, Cain. And then what do we see that takes place again? The curse just gets greater. The curse just gets worse. They were already kicked out of the garden. And the ground was already going to struggle to produce things. And now he says you'll not produce anything. The more we remove ourselves from the image of God, the more we remove ourselves from the identity that God created us to be and to act like, the more that we choose that path, the more depraved we get, the more, more worse off we are for ourselves, the less we care about our brothers and sisters in this world, the less we care about the earth that we're standing on, the less we even want to run after the God that we're supposed to run after. This is a result of that choice. It's the same choice we're making today. Who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to believe? Who are we going to model our lives after? Will it be what humanity has done for the last thousands and thousands of years? Or will we begin... To make our way back to the image of God. this is what restoration is about. this is what reconciliation is about. This is what the cross is all about. Will we actually begin to make our way back to who God called us to be? Why don't we stand this morning? I put these couple questions at the end of your notes. This is, who are you listening to in your life? God? the liar? And then are we acting in the image of God as our brother's keeper? You know, as we roll through Genesis and we get into Revelation and we pull apart what we see and we start to answer these questions, who is this God that we're serving, but also who are we as humanity and what were we called to look like and be like? We have to let it kind of put some pressure on us because I'll tell you what we don't want to stay the same. Even as far as we've come in Jesus, even as far as as you've been maybe a follower of Christ for 30, 40 years as far as you've come, you don't want to stay the same because there's still more journey back to being who you're called to be. But it takes choice. It takes pursuit. It takes shutting off those lies and those doubts and listening to the right voice. That's why you should come to the prophetic community. Because we want to tune in to the right words in our life. That's what God calls us to do. To follow him. It's a simple idea. Difficult in action at times. Follow him. Follow Jesus. Follow his words. Follow his ways. And he'll lead us back to what we were always created to be. I just want to pray for you today. Remind you always, there will be people at the front and at the back to pray for you. But I'd love, let those questions sink into your life. Let God put his finger on your heart this week and and press you a little bit into what you're called to be. So God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, we thank you for these reminders today. God, we don't want to be who we've always been. God, we want to be who we've been created to be. And so, God, every one of us in this room, everyone watching online, Jesus, I ask right now, God, that that liar's voice would become dimmer in our in our mind, and that Your voice would become louder, God, that we'd throw off the lies that that we did, that we have even agreed with about being our brother's keeper that maybe maybe it's it's not my problem it's not my fault it's not my issue to deal with god i pray that where we can we would care and love for one another in health god that we would look for where we can show love to others where we can represent you well in this world and we thank you in jesus name amen Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful Sunday. Greet one another. Encourage one another. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.